book of Jude is uh, slowly becoming one of my favorite books in the Bible. And uh, as soon as we finish this book, I'll have, by the grace of God, taught the entire New Testament. But, you know, it's not a book that you can, I, I think, really should do too fast. And so we're kind of going slow. And what we're discovering as we're studying this book is that even though it's a short book, it's packed with so much. And I'm kind of, we're learning, huh, that even though uh, we go deep, theologians will never touch the bottom, will never exhaust everything. Even though we're going slow, we're still not able to cover everything. And at the end of the day, what the book of Jude is, is a warning for us uh, just to realize that just because someone says they're a Christian and they're on Christian radio or television, you know, you've got some of these entire denominations, some of the branches of Lutheranism or Anglicans or Methodists or or different uh, denominations. You have to really be really careful because sometimes in those churches, they're, they're, they're not really living by the Word of God. There's a lot of things in there. You can sometimes even go online and you have a question about the Bible. So you go online and you Google it and you come across this teacher or some YouTube channel and it's not really giving you the truth. And so what Jude is warning us, saying, hey, be careful. There's a lot of guys that have crept into the church that are not really Christians. They're counterfeit. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. So you be careful because they're on their way to judgment. Even though they say they're Christians, they're not. And if you're not careful, if you follow them, you're going to follow them to where they're going. God's going to deal with you. And so we need to stay on track. And, uh, and as Jude is going through this letter right here, we last week studied the, the fact that, you know, uh, dealing with Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, and that whole story there we read in the book of Genesis, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities that God judged because of the sexual sin there with eternal fire. You know, nowadays we're living in a, in a generation, a church that says that it's okay to, to be gay when the Bible says it's not. And so we love everyone. And, and, you know, I'm not saying necessarily that that sin is different than other sins. We all struggle with something. Maybe you're here today and you struggle with that sin, you know, where you're a guy attracted to a guy or, or a gal in that way. Um, you know, I'm not denying that. We can't necessarily say that we deny those types of inclinations happen in the world that we live in. But at the end of the day, we all have to deny ourselves. The very first thing that Jesus calls us to do as Christians is to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And when you come to the Lord, no matter what your inclination is, you know, maybe you're you know, one of those and you, know, you struggle with sexual sin, just as a heterosexual, where you have to say no to yourself and you say yes to God. Or maybe you're one of those guys here that you struggle with anger or violence or, or I don't know, bitterness, covetousness. I don't know, what it, whatever the sin is, we can't say, you know, to the church, well, you know, that's the culture that we live in, and so embrace it, and we'll, you know, start a new church with a rainbow out there. We can't do that, because that's not what God says in His Word. God says, if you live that life, you'll die. You'll go to hell in your sins. And so we, as a church, need to be so careful that we don't just go with the flow of the world, you know, the whole world is going this way. We kind of have to go this way. We have to go God's way. We can't just live according to the grain of our own inclinations. We even have to go against the, the very grain of who we are. 
And that, that's what Jude is saying. Be careful because there's guys. Look at verse 3 again. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I mean, he just wanted it to be common and calm. He said, no, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. And so he says, Jude is saying, you need to fight for the truth. You need to contend for the faith. Jude is saying you need to you know, do judo. That's what he's basically saying in the Christian realm, man. There's got to be that fight. And so he carries on here and he talks about these guys that are going in and they're influencing the church in negative ways. And today we pick it up in verse 8 when he talks about them and he says, Likewise, uh, also, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And so, you know, Jude here, so much uh, in these, you know, four verses, we're going to try to unpack a little bit, but you guys are going to see we're not going to be able to talk about everything. But look again at what he calls them there in verse 8. He says, likewise also, these dreamers defile the flesh. And so he calls them dreamers. And, you know, maybe that might mean that they're unrealistic in the ways they think, that if they live this life, there'll be satisfaction. Or maybe they're just dreamers in the sense that they think, oh, we can do this, we can get away with this. And, you know, like that song says, dream on. Man, I mean, it's not going to happen, right? And so maybe he's calling them dreamers for that reason. Uh, but other translations say that these men claim authority from their dreams. And, you know, we see that sometimes even in the church. People who claim to be prophets, they claim to be someone special. They tell us their, their dreams, they say, are given by God. And we need to be really careful when it comes to things like that. We need to have a healthy perspective on dreams. Uh, do you guys ever dream? Any of you guys ever dream? Do you ever remember them? I don't. I, I have a dream and it was like, whoa, is this crazy? But if I don't write it down for whatever reason, I forget. Are you guys like that? Some of you are uh, didn't do drugs before you're Christian, but that, that's what happened <laughs> to me, man. I, I just forget, you know. But but you know, when it comes to dreams, um, you know, bottom line is uh, we maybe are, you know, had dreams because of our own thoughts, our own fears, our own desires. Um, sometimes it's uh, the Lord. Sometimes it's the enemy. Uh, sometimes it's because you ate too many tacos uh, the night before, right? But whatever the case, we got to be careful when it comes to dreams. When someone says, hey, I had a dream and it was from God. No. First Thessalonians 5.21, it says, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. And so you test everything I say. You test everything that guy says. You test everything that someone says, well, I had a dream and this is what God you know, told me to tell you. You know, when it comes to dreams, the truth is they can be 
from God. It's interesting when you look up this Greek word right here, it's only found twice in the New Testament and uh, once in a positive light, once here in the negative light. On the day of Pentecost, it was positive. You know, when Peter explained to the people the arrival of the Holy Spirit there on the day of Pentecost, he quoted from the book of Joel and he said in Acts 2.17, And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And so that's actually the Lord saying that that can happen by the person and power of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, it can happen. You know, Joseph, we know, was a dreamer. And he, uh, you know, called, he was called that in Genesis 3, 37, 19. He interpreted dreams uh, from God. And so I don't know about you, but I know I've had a handful of dreams in my life that I know for sure were from God. And so we don't throw away the baby with the bathwater, but we need to know that dreams uh, can pale in comparison to God's word. And if ever there's a dream that would contradict God's word, then you know for sure that you can't take that to heart. And so there's a really cool passage in Jeremiah 23. And I was wondering if you would turn there with me. And he talks about this. Because I want to have an understanding of, Lord, how does this work? In Jeremiah chapter 23, in verse 25, I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which every man tells his neighbor as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. He says, the prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, here it is, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord. You know, and in those days they would have they bring in their, their grain, their threshing, and they would in the threshing floor they would you know winnow it. The fork would throw it up in the air, and the the wind uh, would would blow away the chaff, and the wheat, which was the one of substance, would fall to the ground. And that's what he's saying. He's saying you know dreams are, are like the chaff, the word is like the weight. That that's the one that you want you know, to, to, to really hold on to, to listen to, to value. That's the word of God. And so he says in verse 29, Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and it burns in our heart, and like a hammer that breaks the, the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophet, says the Lord, who steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I'm against the prophet, says the Lord, who use their tongues and say... He says, Behold, I'm against those who, use, who prophesy false dreams, says the Lord, and tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their recklessness. God says, Yet I did not send them or command them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, says the Lord. And so just trying to have a healthy understanding of dreams, these guys were dreamers. They had entered into the church and they said, these dreams were given to us by God. But when they contradict the word, then you know for sure it's not true and God 
takes this as a heavy situation. Uh, even earlier in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 13, I was wondering if you would turn there. In Deuteronomy 13, in verse 1, it says, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk uh, after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from, from... the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. And so you guys know this. I know a lot of you do. But just in case you're here and you're thinking, well, what if they have like this amazing dream? Or what if there's this miracle that's done or this apparition like for example the catholic church will tell you that the virgin mary appeared and you know whatever lords or fatima and you know what did she say she said to pray the rosary and so why would she say if this is god why would this you know apparition tell me to pray to anyone other than god you know where you pray 50 hail marys you know that's it doesn't matter how big the miracle is how grand the dream was if that prophet or if that you know miracle or that sign or that wonder it contradicts God's word, then what he says right here is the Lord is testing you to see whether or not you really love the Lord. He's saying, no, you have to stick to my commandments, my word, you know, because otherwise you're going to see these guys, they lead people astray. Right here he says, you know, you put that prophet to death And the reason they would do that in Israel, of course, is because it was a theocracy. Now, we live in a democracy, and so we don't do that. You know, we don't put people to death, per se. But it goes to show you how God feels about such things. Okay, so back in the the book of Jude, he starts off this whole thing by, by calling them dreamers, right? And so he tells us who they were. And then in Jude, verse 8, he tells us three things that they do. Notice again, Jude, verse 8, it says, Likewise also, these dreamers, number one, they defile the flesh. Number two, they reject authority. And then number three, they speak evil of dignitaries. And so, defile the flesh. And basically, they pollute their own bodies by living immoral lives. You know, we saw back in verse 4 when we studied that section that these men turn the grace of God into lewdness, which is behavior that is sexually crude and offensive. You know, these false teachers were under the impression that Christianity kind of gave them a license uh, for evil. They kind of said, well, you're forgiven, so now you're, you know, given a right to do wrong. You know, God will wash it away and 
they thought and taught that God's grace allowed them to live that type of life. And what it was was an early form of Gnosticism. And so there was this weird mentality that just said, well, it doesn't really matter what you do on the outside. It's kind of what's going on on the inside. That all matter is kind of separate and, you know, evil. And so it's really got nothing. So you go ahead and and you get drunk and you get high and you get mad and all that kind of stuff because, you know, you're you're forgiven. And and so um, we don't we don't live that way. As Christians, if you call yourself a Christian, then, you know, you hate sin because you know it grieves God, right? I mean, it breaks his heart. Why would I get mad at someone or, or blow my top or explode? Or why would I look at porn? Or why would I mistreat my wife or talk down to my children? Why, why would I do that? Why would I, you know, flip somebody off or whatever? You know, the things sometimes Christians do why would we sin? Some people say, well, it's okay because you're, you're forgiven. You know, God's washed it away and it's not that big of a deal. No, it is a big deal. It affects us in, in so many ways. You pollute yourself when you do that. You know, and so we, you know, sin literally in the Greek language, it means you miss the mark. And so we're going to miss the mark, right? But we always try to hit the bullseye. You know, when you wake up in the morning, you try to live that life. You try to pray the way you should and, and, and read the Bible the way you should and, and obey it the way you should. You try to love people the way you should, right? I mean, we try. These guys said, yeah, it's okay, you don't even have to try. You know, they were teaching that the grace of God allowed you to live whatever type of life that you wanted to. And so it was a form of Gnosticism. Number one, they, they defiled the flesh. Number two, they rejected authority, it says there in verse 8. And so the, the Greek word translated reject, it means that they set it aside. They disregarded those in places of authority. They thought little of them, you know. And so they eventually defied this authority, meaning that they defied God's authority. You know, these guys came into the church and they said, ah, who cares if they're apostles? Who cares if, the, you know, that's the, those are the pastors of the church? Who cares if, if they're the leaders, you know? And, and so they rebelled and rejected that authority. And we're going to see more of that later when we cover Korah, who Jude mentions in verse 11. But let me just say this, that we should uh, not reject authority. We should respect God's given, God-given authority. You know, and that starts uh, at a young age. Hopefully, you parents, you teach your children. And again, you know, there's a lot of different dynamics in all this. But, you know, to listen to their, their teachers. You know, to listen and respect, you know, police officers. At Romans chapter 13, it talks about the authority of the government. You know, and we're supposed to obey the laws of the land. And then, you know, you go to church and, and the same thing is, is true there. You teach them you know, to respect those uh, that are given that authority because if not, then, you know, we lose this whole aspect of God's structure, right? You know, God help us to respect those appointed by God, especially leaders in the church who are living the Word of God and teaching the Word of God, you know? And so you guys remember in the old days, in some churches they still do this, when they would start the service, they would walk in like this. You guys, have any of you guys ever been to a church like that? 
You're like, no, that's weird. We should, we should start doing that, huh? And you're like, Manny, that's a huge Bible, I know. <laughs> but why did they do that? Why did they start their services like that? It was because it was a visual that saying that that man right there, he is under the word of God. And if that man is, is under the word of God and he's living the word of God and he's teaching the word of God and you're able to open up your Bibles and study it there, then what he's saying is that you don't, you don't reject them. You know, there's an, there's an aspect in which you, you respect them. Hebrews 13, verse 17, it says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And so uh, we honor them, First Timothy 5.17 says. We don't set them aside. We don't disregard those in places of authority. We don't think little of them. Listen, he's saying, don't do what they were doing back in these days. Jude says three things. Number one, they defile the flesh. Number two, they reject authority. And then number three, they speak evil of dignitaries, he says there in verse 8. And so the Greek word is where we get our word blaspheme. They blasphemed them. Uh, Dignitaries is an interesting word. It's just the word doxa, which is usually translated glory. And so most of the times, you know, people, when, they, when they're studying this verse, like the NET translates it, they, they speak evil of the glorious ones. And so it's an interesting passage. What exactly is he speaking of here? I think generally speaking, what he's saying is that these guys, they just spoke without a filter, you know. Have you ever met anybody like that? They just speak their mind when they shouldn't. It'd be better to, for them to kind of keep the foot in the mouth thing and, you know, and not say anything. But these guys were like that. They were just talking smack in all different directions, right? I mean, they more than likely were talking about the apostles and pastors and leaders in the church, you know, saying uh, slander in their direction. There was no fear of God in their eyes. But they were probably also making light of the devil and his demons and I don't know if you've ever met a Christian like that. Sometimes you'll find these Christians that they go around and they're just talking to demons all the time and they're telling them you know, what to do as if they themselves are God. And you have to be really careful with that as well. You know, be careful. First John 4, 4, it does tell us that God who is in us is greater than he, the enemy, who's in the world. But that doesn't mean that we go around dialoguing with demons you know, casually, freely, nonchalantly. We don't go looking to pick a fight, you know, with the devil per se. No, Jude actually shares something different, something really that's fascinating. Look again what he says in verse 9. He says, Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed over the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And so he's talking about that trait in verse 8 where these counterfeit Christians spoke evil of dignitaries, just spoke spoke recklessly. Jude contrasts that with the interaction between Michael the archangel and the devil when they disputed over the body of Moses. Now, the only reason we know this actually took place is because it's right here in the Bible. 
Um, you can even search apocryphal literature, and it's still hard to pinpoint where he got his information from. We know it's true because it's here in the book of Jude. But I also was thinking maybe Jude learned it from uh, Jesus, remember, because they're brothers. And so who knows, maybe one day they're playing marbles or they're doing slingshots or something, and they're talking about this, and Jesus is talking about this, and Jude knows it's true. And so he's writing about this time, think about it, where Michael the archangel contended with the devil over the body of Moses. Now, we know that back in the Old Testament, Moses was buried by God himself. We read that in Deuteronomy 34, 5 through 6. So it says, Moses, a servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him. Think about that, capital H. God buried Moses, right? And so he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. And so none of the people knew where the body of Moses was because God did it personally. And so, you know, we wonder, well, then what was going on here? Satan obviously would know, uh, Michael the archangel would know where it was, but somewhere along the line, they contended, they argued, they debated over Moses' body. And that's an interesting thought too, because you wonder why. Why were they wanting to get his body? You know, some people uh, say the reason is because he wanted to desecrate the body. You know, who knows? You know, cut the head off, you know, like, you know, in the Jewish culture, you know, that, was a, that would be a horrible thing. They wanted a proper burial. Now, another, others say that maybe even he wanted to possess the body of Moses, you know, somehow, you know, bring life to the body and then go back and deceive the people. And then I was reading yesterday about how the children of Israel were so prone to idolatry Remember, they worshipped the, the, the staff, and who knows, maybe they would have also worshipped you know, the, the grave where, where Moses was buried. Uh, we don't know for sure. All we do know is that there was this fight going on for the body of Moses. And so when that fight went on, um, what we find right here is the, 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 you know, the winning blow was just Michael the archangel when he said to, to, to the devil, the Lord rebuke you. And that was the, the, the blow of victory. You know, keep in mind, now it's interesting, when you study the Bible, Michael is the, is the fighting angel. He's the warrior when it comes to the angels. There are three angels mentioned in the Bible by name, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. Now, Gabriel seems to be more of the messenger. Uh, you guys might remember that he was the one sent to Zacharias. He was sent to a, a Mary and he brought the message, right, uh, regarding Jesus' birth and John's birth. Gabriel also was sent to Daniel in Daniel chapter 10. And when he was sent, he came with a message. But it's interesting, when you read the book of Daniel chapter 10, in verse 13, it says that he was on his way. It says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia, Gabriel says, withstood me 21 days. And so if you can visualize an angel on his way to heaven, but he's fighting this demon who oversees the, the nation of Iran, you know, Persia, and he's fighting him for 21 days on his way. Because it says the moment that Daniel set his heart to seek the Lord and pray, the angel was then, uh, you know, set out. But for 21 days, he's fighting this fight, right? And then it says there in Daniel 10, 13, Michael, one of the chief princes, 
came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. And so there's a spiritual warfare going on. Gabriel's the messenger. Michael's the fighter. Some of you guys are like that, right? Some of you guys right here, you know, maybe you're not proud of the fact, but before you were Christians, you used to do a lot of fights. Any of you guys like that? And so I would, you know, now you're, you wouldn't pick a fight, right? But if someone tried to hurt your family, you know what to do, huh? And so some of you guys are, are fighters, some of you guys are not. You're like, hey, I'm a lover, not a fighter, or whatever. I'm a, I'm a messenger, right? All I know is that when you look at all the angels, I mean, Michael, man, he's a bad dude, if you know what I'm talking about. I mean, he is just a, a fighter. Even in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7, the Bible says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. And then you go on and read that, uh, that, that verse, and it says, And there was found, they, were, they were kicked out of heaven. So, so Michael was the leader of the angels when it comes to fighting. And so he was like the toughest one of all, right? And so Jude, you know, talks about, you know, Michael, and he's speaking of an awesome angel, a leader of the angels, one who's powerful, a fighter in God's army, but even he didn't talk nonsense and arrogance and self-confidence when dealing with demons. And that's why you had to be careful that you don't go and mess around with that kind of stuff, man. And you know, and of course, there's different ways to apply this. And some people, they'll go to the fortune teller down the street. Oh, I'm just going to get my palm read. I mean, dude, you're dabbling with demons. And I have talked to people who have been tormented by them because they did crazy things like that. You know, or, or whatever it is, the, the Ouija boards. I think at the end of the day, the way it works with demons is that if you open yourself up, whatever, however you, you do, you open yourself up. Maybe it's through drugs. That's why that, that Greek word, it, pharmakia, is sorcery. You open yourself up. You're dealing with demons now. And, and so you also have some Christians that go around talking to demons as if you know, they have this, you know, this self-confidence. No, when Michael, when Michael fought them, he said, the Lord rebuke you. And, that, and that's the contrast he's trying to give right here. But some people, they just... They just talk smack. Look at the, the next verse. He says, but these, they speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. These guys, on the other hand, they have no problem in speaking evil. You know, They just vent all their feelings. There's no filter whatsoever. There's no self-control they, they talk about the people. They talk about the pastors. They revile demons. They, you know, share their opinions. They talk ignorantly, naturally. Not just natural men. He says they're worse. They're brute beasts. Why? Because the devil's got a hold of their tongue. You know, Jude calls them that. And in doing so, he says, they corrupt themselves. Which kind of makes sense because they're in it for themselves, right? They're in it, we're going to see, for the money. Like animals are on the street corner, they're in it for the sex. That's, that's them. Ignorant, arrogant, and on their way heading for judgment. Now, sometimes you'll go to a church and they'll tell you what's well, okay for you to 
have sex with your girlfriend before you're married as long as you love her? No, that's not what the Bible says. You know, but if you want to, you know, do that sin, you can probably go down the street and find a church that will never talk about it or they'll, you know, they'll teach whatever you want to hear. I remember um, one man that I knew, he would shoot up heroin and then he would read the book of Revelation. Talk about that. I mean, that was a trip, huh? I'll bet, man. <laughs> Crazy stuff. But some people think it's okay. They think, well, I'll do that and I'm going to really get like some insight out of this Verse that you can find a church if you start with whatever your desire is, whatever your sin is. There's a church out there. There's plenty of churches with rainbow banners if that's what you want to do. Or you can say, no, God is God. And I will, I will live my life according to his word. And he becomes the final authority in your life. You know, you always, when I, when I talk to people and when you're witnessing you know, one of the things you want to ask them, because they, you know, well, I believe that everyone goes to heaven. You know, sometimes you'll talk to people like that. I'm a good person. I'm sure I'll go to heaven. And so, you know, you dialogue with them and you ask them, well, where did you get that information? And, you know, usually they just got it out of their own mind, you know. And I said, well, I'd rather believe the Bible. You know, when Jesus came, he said, this is truth. And he said in John chapter 17, your word is truth. And, you know, Matthew, he says that it can't be broken. And so this is where we need to make sure that we gather our truth from. We don't just go talking stuff, right? And that's what's going on here. Jude issues a warning while describing the practice of these imposters, counterfeit Christians who had kept crept into the church. And he, and he gives that warning there in verse 11, woe to them. For they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And he mentions three men now in the Old Testament whose lives are lessons on the sentence of God upon the sins of men. And so for the first one, uh, he says they have gone the way of Cain. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 4, if you would. Genesis chapter 4, in verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And so imagine how happy she was. She had a little boy. right? She names him, him Cain. And then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And so this is not all the, the children that Adam and Eve had. They only mention the significant ones that would be part of the Bible. But what we find is now she's got a couple of sons. And, you know, it's kind of cool, you know, how life begins. And one of them is a farmer and the other one is a shepherd. And so cool guys so far. And it says in verse 3, And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord, but Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. And so, you know, who knows what day, you know, whatever, they have a day where they go and they offer the sacrifice to God. And, you know, since Abel's a shepherd, he brings of the flock. 
and he gives the, the fat, think about it, the fat of the firstborn. Now, do you guys remember back in the day when we used to eat fat, how awesome it was? Remember you had that piece of steak and then there was that fat piece right there and you're like, yeah, this is so good. Okay, well, in one sense, of course, now we know it's not good for us, which is probably why God uh, wanted it for himself, right? So they didn't need it. But what is he doing? As As he's giving the fat of the firstborn, he's giving the best to God. He's not giving God the leftovers. He's giving off the top. He's giving the fat of the firstborn. He believes in God. He believes in God, and he's giving God what belongs to God, and he's sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So he's giving the fat of the firstborn. But, but what we find right here is Abel, he was a, uh, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And so Cain came, and it says right here that he brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. It doesn't really say anything significant of, of what he gave, uh, he just kind of brought, you know, probably what was left over. And so Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us the distinction between these two that we can't really see right here is that what we find is that one gave it by faith while the other just kind of gave the leftover. And what we find is that, you know, Cain, he, he, he didn't really believe. What we find is, is Cain is a picture of religion. Just religion. You, know, you can come and you can give, you know, whatever your $10. And you can show up maybe for whatever, an hour, once in a while. You know, and you can go through those motions. But, but you have to really search your heart. Like, is this a real, true relationship with God? And, and what we find is that, you know, Abel's offering was respected because it was done by faith. While Cain's wasn't, it was just religion. So God comes and he says, it's okay. While Cain is upset because it's not respected, he says, God just says to him, get right. Get real. Make sure you truly believe that you don't just come and give God the leftovers. You don't just come and give God like a little chamber of your heart. No, you give God all your heart. Let it be real faith, right? But we know the whole story. What ended up happening is Cain got upset He got upset with God. He was jealous of his brother. And you guys know the whole story, right? He went and he killed him. And and what we find back in the book of Jude is he's saying you have to be so careful that you're not guilty of mere religion. I mean, you got guys coming into the church and in all reality, it's it's not faith. And so it ends up being an ugly, ugly scene. And Jude issues a warning here describing the practice of these guys. He says, man, look again in verse 11, woe to them. And that's not a Fonzarelli woe. That's a bad woe, man. It's, it's, man, the heartache to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and then they've run greedily in the error of Balaam. Now, Balaam has an interesting story. He's mentioned 59 times in the Bible, primarily in the book of Numbers 22 through 24. And so when you read his story, how many of you have read about Balaam? I'm just curious. How many of you guys have read? Okay, so you guys, you need to start reading your Bibles, okay? (laughs) Read the whole Bible. Read Genesis. Read these stories. Because when you read about Balaam, he is weird. He is so weird. You guys know any weird people? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, this guy was really weird. He heard God's voice. He, I can't figure him out. 
You know, when the, the, the king of Moab um, uh, you know, came looking for him because what he wanted to do was he wanted to hire Balaam so that he would go and curse the children of Israel. So he sent some guys to his house because he knew that he was a prophet who could do something like this. And so he said, hey, will you come and curse you know, the children of Israel? You know, we'll, we'll give you $10,000. And so Balaam said, well, let me ask what God, what God says. And God said, no. And so he comes back and he says, no, I can't go. So the guys go back to the king and then they send him back again. They say, hey, how about $50,000? You know, will you come for $50,000? And he's like, huh. Well, let me check with God again on that. And God says, well, just do what I tell you to do. God didn't give him the green light. God just said, do what I tell you to do. He just went ahead and went. He took it, you know. And you guys remember this story? So he went and uh, remember he's riding the donkey? And remember that's when the donkey spoke to him. So the donkey could see the spiritual things. Here's Balaam, though, and, and he heard the voice of God. Later on, he goes on to prophesy about the, the Messiah multiple times, amazing prophecies about the star, about how the, the, the king one day would come, prophecies that are in the Bible. I mean, he had this relationship with God so amazing to me, but, but see, Cain's problem was religion. Balaam's problem was riches. And because he wanted money so bad, he wanted the mansion, he wanted the nice car, he wanted the Apple AirPods, is that what they're called? He wanted like the things that, you know, that money can buy. You know, 50, no, I can't do it for 50,000. How about 100,000? No, a million? Oh man, a million dollars? Imagine what I could do with a million dollars. And so the Bible talks about how that in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You know, what ends up happening is he says, okay, I can't curse them, but I know what, I, what you can do. And he, and he tells them how to make the children of Israel curse themselves. And he says, all you got to do is get the ladies. You dress them up in a certain way. You send them down to the men when they're there. And you just tell them that this is our religion. Our religion says that we worship God by having free sex. And so you're a guy, you're a Jew, and you're like, oh, I like that religion, you know. And what ends up happening is 24,000 men died. End up cursing themselves. Why? Because of this guy Balaam leading the people astray in that way. And what he's saying right here, what Jude is saying right here, is you've got to be careful with these things. You know, you have a lot of guys in the church that are in it because of the money. And you guys see them on TV, don't you? You see them on TV. They've got these, whatever, $10,000 suits, and they will tell you that the reason I have this crazy clothing is because I'm blessed by God, and I've got a Bentley, and I've got a mansion, and they're gathering the money from these you know, widows or these older ladies who are on this fixed income, and what they're doing is they're heaping up for themselves judgment one day. You know, and that can happen in different ways. You know, I mean... You have these guys, they, they go to school and they go to seminary and they get a degree and, and they start a church and whatever. They've got that whole thing going on. And the whole thing for them was about a paycheck. I mean, just a paycheck. And, you know, and that's, it's a job. It's not a calling. You know, for us uh, as, as Christians, we have to be so careful that it's not about religion. We have to go beyond that. Do you really know the Lord? 
do you really, I'm not talking about your parents or your siblings or your compas or whatever, your cousins or the person that invited you here today. No, you, do you, do we really know the Lord? It's got to go beyond religion. And, and once you're there, be careful of riches and money and all the things that money can buy. You know, because some people, they go, they go sideways because of that. You know, for me, and I'll, and I'll be honest with you, before I was a Christian, you know, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to go to school, and I know this is a weird thought, but I'm going to major in money, kind of. That's what I was thinking. I just want to make money. I just want to make money. I just want to make money. And then, and then when God saved me, he said, listen, no longer chase money. No longer follow the path of money. From now on, follow me. And I didn't know how I was going to make it. don't know how. You know, and started in the ministry, it took a 40% pay cut. I lost my health benefits. Didn't get a raise for seven years. Was it easy? No, but man, we always, always had everything we needed. And if the day came where, you know what, Manny, we can't pay you anymore as a pastor, and I know Henry has the same heart, all of us who are on staff, we would still serve the Lord. We would still do what we're doing because we're not in it for the money. Because, man, a lot of people, they go sideways at that point. You know, if I were to say, in all honesty, what God does the United States of America serve? It's the God of money. We had to be so careful. You know, the, what he's saying, beware. You know, look again, verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So we have to be so careful that we're not guilty of just religion or riches or rebellion. You know, some people, they just have that rebellious spirit, huh? I don't think any of you guys are like that, but some people are like that. They're like, I just don't want anybody to tell me what to do. You know what? Who do you think you are telling me what to do? Oh, I'm your boss. You know? <laughs> you know, and you get the rebellious spirit, you know? I mean, be so careful. This whole uh, rebellion of the story of Korah is found in Numbers chapter 16. And when you get a chance, I encourage you to read that whole story. But do you guys remember more or less the story of Moses and Aaron and how God ordained Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and, man, to lead them to the promised land? But then there was this time when God set up this whole structure of Moses and then you have Aaron, he was the high priest, and then you have the, the Levites who would help him. But Korah said, you know, I'm, I don't want to be, you know, third. I want to be top gun. I, I want to be first. And so he gathered up uh, 250 men and they came and they went to Moses and they said, who do you think you are? You know, saying that you're the, the boss, you're the leader here. He says, we have just as much right as you, you do. And, and, you know, Moses, yeah, that was the, the man God chose. And so, you know, Moses, he was meek, and he said, okay, well, we'll just let the Lord take care of it, and the Lord did take care of it. He took Korah, and he said, everybody else, get away from that man, because what God did was opened up the earth and swallowed him, like Pac-Man. You guys ever may have played that game? It was like that. All his stuff, everything went down to the ground. Why? Because he couldn't keep rank and we have to be so careful with that you know that rebellious spirit that we have sometimes you know and i know this is a different issue but a lot of the i was talking to we had a chaplain meeting recently and he was talking about 
the issue we have with homelessness. And homelessness is one of the toughest things in the, in the world. You got guys that are that are mentally ill. Uh, some of them, you know, biologically, you know, chemically imbalanced. A lot of them, unfortunately, it, it has to do with the drugs that they took, and now they find themselves in that condition. But he was telling us this heartbreaking thing that the primary reason why a lot of the homeless people don't want to go to these places where they've built for them to help them, to house them, to feed them, to take care of them, is because they don't want to go somewhere where someone else will tell them what to do. They want to do what they want to do. A lot of times, not all of them. So we have to be careful that we don't overgeneralize but I think that what can happen in our life is that's, that's kind of where we're at. And it's just a beautiful thing when you have the structure and you've got a pastor and you've got guys around him and you've got overseers or you've got you know, the, the whole you know, beautiful thing about the way that God leads us. You know, uh, be careful that you don't have that rebellious spirit inside of you. What we find is that, man, these guys, unfortunately, as a result of that, it says they perished in the rebellion of Korah. And so there's lessons for us. I pray that we would have this understanding as we're going through the book of Jude. And he says it three times, beloved, beloved, beloved. The only reason I'm telling you all these things is because I love you. I love you. And I want you to go to heaven when you die. Because when we go to heaven, we're going to have a Garnet-Sala reunion there in heaven. And I want you to be there because, man, your salsa is so good. You know, and, and well, how do you go there, Manny? How do you go there? You just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about our behavior because we'll never be good enough. It's about the blood. The blood of Jesus washes away your sins. You just have to come to that place in your life where you say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I don't want to die without you. Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, truly be the Lord and the Savior of my life. I know I'm, you know, last week, you know, and then still I see it all the time, you know, talking to this young man who's cutting himself, you know, and I know the way the enemy is and how he does his thing. You know, and the Bible says the thief has not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, and here's this guy, and you know, that maybe you're here today, and you sometimes, you know, you feel like you don't want to live. You know, the enemy's trying to take you down in different ways. There's an emptiness inside of you. There's a void that maybe you're trying to fill with drugs or alcohol or some other relationship, and it just you just can't find that peace. Listen, what God is calling you to today is not just church but he's calling you to himself. He's calling you to a peace with him, a peace that surpasses understanding. You need Jesus. He loves you. And I do pray with all my heart that it's not just a religion for you, but that today, if you don't know him, that you would give him your heart and that you would start hanging out with Christians. You know, Start coming to church um, because you're going to grow as you do that. Like that great poet Lecrae said, he said, um, life is like a paradise, so watch the ones you're rolling with, you know. And so hopefully you're rolling with Christians and with Jesus.